Erosion Chapter 14 While I was musing, the fire burned. Psalm intersected Route 24 led right past the cemetery. Carlton knew that out on the highway there was mayhem, and he knew that he had to get back into town to coordinate emergency efforts, but amid all the uproar, he needed a moment of peace. The overgrowth of leaves and vines gave the place a greenish glow under the overcast sky. There were blurred shadows between the grounds and the headstones. It was as if the intrusion wasn't the marble and granite on the earth, but him as a living being roaming between the aisles as he searched for his son. Constant rain made the grass soft. Water sprung up like from a sponge when he stepped in places. It was not the most comfortable position to be in, on top of the dead, feeling like the earth could slide away at any moment. There he was, near the Lalo family plots, the biggest monument of them all, of course. He remembered the tradition that Ralph had taught him while accompanying him to visit the cemetery once. Ralph left stones on top of his gravestones to mark a remembrance that he had come. It was a Jewish custom that Ralph had taught him, but Carlton adopted it for himself. He always gathered a few stones from the grounds as he walked to see his son. He always left a few behind on top of the flat marble. It was too much for him this time. Usually he spent some time there before the tears fell. But today they came easily. No young boy should be in one place for so long. They're known for their untamable energy. Jason was never long in one spot doing one thing before he was on to the next. Video game, sport, television, or just trekking along the rural paths that crisscrossed around the town. He was always on his way out. He was always on the move. Now he lay there, easy to spot, restful day after day. It was no use. The rain mixed his tears and drowned them out. It fell too hard and he began to soak through his rain gear. He said a quick goodbye, kissed his hand and placed the stones atop the marker, leaving behind his presence, his kiss, and his memories. He turned to the lalo plots, arranged like a concentric circle in the middle of a puddle and a mound of something half submerged in it. He remembered that Anne had been recently buried so he gathered a few stones to pay respects while he was in the neighborhood. The mound took a familiar shape as he approached. Carlton cursed to himself and ran to the graveside. On top of old man Lalo's grave lay the dead body of a young man. The blood flowed and mixed with the rain and the mud, leaving in the pool of water a sickly swirl. He took the radio off his belt and switched it back on. He had wanted quiet in this visit and in this rare occasion he had turned it off. The voices mingled with static, breaking open the rhythmic peace the rain provided in the cemetery. He called for help. 
Jerry showed up a few minutes later with a few cars and an ambulance, Ralph and some others. He had them secure off the crime scene, and as the photographer took pictures and Ralph examined the body as well as he could for evidence, he took Jerry off to the side. You recognize him, he asked. Jerry took a glance back at the body, which was obscured by all the new attention it was getting. I think that's that Indian kid off the reservation, the one you arrested a couple of years ago, right? He patted his nephew's back. Yeah, that's him. His nephew squinted and wiped his face of wetness. He's got the same knife wounds as the others. God damn it, I just talked to this kid in the station the other day. He pictured the young Indian face, roundish and dark, with his drooping eyes as if he'd already seen too much of life in his short years. What was his problem that he was mixed up in this shit? I don't see the connection to this kid, but he's been laid out pretty obvious. This guy had a thing for the Lalos. I had Francine over at the library looking up some information in the records about the locations the bodies were found. Go over and see if she's found anything yet. Fine, but... I know, I know, Carlton said. He expected that Jerry was going to bring up Gary Connors again. Jerry smiled. Finally coming around, huh, Uncle Carl? Let's go out and get me some evidence. He tapped his breast pocket. I'm still the detective around here. As his nephew ran to his car, a call came over the radio. The dispatcher had more to add to the equation. A pickup was found in a flooded ditch just a few blocks east of Main Street in town. Inside was something that the officer on the scene wanted him to see. Carlton drove from one disaster to another. When he arrived, there was three cruisers in a half circle around a pickup truck. He made out the colors vibrating throughout the rain, looking like watercolors melting through his windshield. The canvas was a light sheet of gray, soggy and wrinkled. The whole county was shriveling up to nothing. He pulled close to the scene and parked. A gaggle of officers surrounded the pickup, looking like waterfowl in their blue ponchos and rainproof caps. They bobbed and shifted around in the puddles, kicking water back into the air. What's up? Carl asked, loudly over the din of rain and traffic and engines idling. Hi, Carl. It was one of the older sergeants, Jeff Mayfield. He lived in the outskirts and had his family evacuated recently. With nowhere to go but the shelter set up in the public schools, he had been working almost continually for days. Looks like we got an ID on the killer. How's that? Carl asked, knowing for sure who it was already, but thankful for the hard evidence. Jeff pointed into the pickup. Carl peered through the open window. The interior was a bloody mess. There was a bulging knapsack. Who's that? Carlton pointed to the body slumped against the driver's side door. Red puddles surrounded him. Some guy named Daniel Smallpaw. The bags? Clothes, boots, some food and stuff. Survival gear. Anyone see him leave the scene? A couple of witnesses driving by saw a guy run that way down the median. Jeff pointed in a direction opposite of what Carl expected. The path through the woods led right down a hill to the athletic fields. He disappeared down that hill. Nothing else? It'll be hard to do prints on this stuff since it was left in the rain with the doors open. We could see if Ralph can help get a match. Carl nodded his head. Ralph will be taking care of the Indian boy's body. Send the bags to his office and pound the car. Has anyone tracked them? Not yet. APB? Yep. Good. Carl turned back towards his car. I'll talk to Ralph later. In the meanwhile, you guys search the area for anything else he might have dropped. I'll check out the high school. He'll probably avoid crowded places, but you never know. 
We might want to mix in, Jeff yelled. Carl shrugged, but he doubted if Jeff saw it through his raincoat in the pounding spray. Driving to the high school, he contemplated all the connections that Jeff lit up in his mind. Bright lines connected one fact to another. There was Gary Connors, the young Indian boy who all the kids made fun of in school. Old man Lalo's taste for boys was not widely known, except for a few came close to exposing it. Mark's parents were dead because of it. He helped cover up the crime and held his tongue just like everyone else in town, even after the old man's death. It was a black cancer Carlton carried around in his belly for years. At the time, all he remembered was his superior officer sitting him down to a stiff drink and explaining to him how much of the future he had with the police and how much his family counted on his salary. It all made sense then. Now, with the years and pain all piled on top of each other, the sense of it disappeared. First, it was just a couple of Indians. Then, a couple of long hairs. What did it matter to a working guy like Carlton? Just as soon beat those guys down at a protest and worry if they ran off the road or had to be force-fed religion. Even if he didn't agree with it, agreeing wasn't his job, as his superiors clearly told him. Protecting the public and the tourists of Canyon Park was his job. Was that so important after all? When he pulled up to the school, he realized that he'd already drank half his flask. He didn't even remember taking it out of the glove compartment. His stomach rumbled a little less, though the voices chiding him in his head were louder than ever. Maybe Gary Connors deserves a few kills under his belt for what he went through. On the other hand, maybe he should just shoot the Indian and put him out of his misery. It's not as if he's got anything to live for anyway. For that matter, what did he have to live for? A holy roller wife and a dead son? That was all he had to show for 30 years in Canyon Park. Nice little career you put together for yourself, huh, Carlton? He mumbled. He wished someone were around to ask him what he meant. As usual, his demons escaped only in small rooms, graveyards, and patrol cars, safely contained from the rest of the world. He sealed the flask and stuffed it inside his jacket. Outside of the school, cars were strewn haphazardly, about with no mind to the yellow parking lines. He pulled up to the door and went inside. A couple of patrolmen recognized him and gave him a wide berth. He must have had his determination plastered on his face. It barely nodded. He recognized them both, but the names escaped him. He wanted another drink, but the room was crowded with people. Desperate people, who watched him as he looked for Gary. They watched him and he pretended to look past all of them, while trying to seek out a face. The halls were packed, blankets and bags spilled out everywhere. It smelled of wet cloth and sweat. He doubled back to the two officers in the front. Did anyone come in here before me, he asked. They nodded. They hadn't seen anyone. Carl described what Gary looked like and they promised to keep an eye on the doors. No one was to leave before he came back. They understood. He plunged back into the halls. The school had so many exits. Most were emergency type, so he ruled them out one by one until he got to the cafeteria. Two large doors led out to the football field behind the school. Gary had to have come in through there. He shut the doors, leading into the cafeteria and gently slid the lock. No one noticed. They milled around in disbelief. Dirty faces spoke of personal horrors. They spoke of houses and things left inside them. They spoke of missing pets and neighbors. The murmur was the same from everywhere. He scanned the corners. 
a lone figure back to him, bobbed and rocked, as if trying to keep warm with continuous movement. That could be him. Carlton tried to mix in. He walked a zigzag course. The figure never turned around, but he could tell it was Gary. He stood within arm's length and drew his gun out slowly. Gary, don't move, he said in a low voice, trying to intimidate and not startle. The figure stopped bobbing and swaying. Turn around slow and we'll walk out of here. In a flash, Gary turned. First, Call thought, oh shit, and raised his gun to fire. Gary knocked the gun out of his hand. The thing he used was hard and probably broke some of his fingers. With a swift strike, Gary knocked him back on the head. Carl fell to the floor. You could have helped me, Gary said through gritted teeth. He held in one hand, close to the side of his body, a club, very purposely designed with a smooth handle that flayed out to a ball on the end. It was shiny, like polished wood. His blood stuck to the side. In the other hand, he held a modern hunting knife. You shouldn't have helped the old man get rid of his own son. He thought of his wife and dead son. Pain ripped up his belly, his chest, and then his neck, then back to his belly again. Gary was mumbling something, but Carl couldn't listen for the ringing in his ears. He threw up and spit blood. He knew he was being stabbed to death with a big knife. Someone caressed his brow. He tried to cry out for mercy, but his mind flashed with red light. Then... Nothing. by Lon S. Cohen. To find out more, please visit www.coenside.blogspot.com. This patio book is a production of Zilco Studios.